excited to be with you guys today. And the reason is I have a guest here today that you need to hear from. And you're going to want to be hearing about this. And I think this is one you're going to want to share and ask all your friends to watch too. So we're going to be talking a little bit about our Corona area. But everything we're going to talk about applies to you wherever you're watching this. And actually, I think almost whenever you're watching this. So today with me is Dr. Amy French, and uh, she is a part of the staff at Corona Regional Hospital here in our area. By the way, I don't know if you know this, I was on the board at one time at Corona Regional and uh, just uh, love the staff there, love the people I've been able to interact with uh, in the mission you have to make people's lives better. So uh, just that is super cool. But uh, Dr. French is with us. She is uh, over the ICU unit. Um, would be, uh, I would consider you an expert in the area of the coronavirus, but also in making sure people uh, in a point of critical care get the best care possible. Uh, what is your actual title? I am the ICU director at Corona Regional Medical Center. That is my official label. <laughs> okay, and how long have you been there? Seven to eight years. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Time Super. flies. Yeah, yeah. So Dr. French <laughs> wanted you to know she always does protect herself, which she loves doing. Uh, she's willing, though, to take off the mask for the interview because we're socially distanced. So it'd be okay for you to take it off now. But um, I want to say, first of all, thank you for what you do. And uh, we at this church pray for you and for your team, uh, for all the staff at Corona Regional who are on the front lines. Uh, and there's sometimes it's a cost to you and your family uh, mentally. Uh, you make sure you do everything you can to protect them physically, I know. Thank you very much. Well, you're welcome. The prayers are welcomed. So right this second, we are seeing a surge. We're Correct. seeing a spike. We're seeing the largest spike we've seen in our area throughout the entire pandemic. And the largest number of people in ICU from this, right? As of today, we have the highest number we've seen. Okay. Wow. Wow. That's really sobering. Um, I, I mean, it is. I, and I can imagine the stress it puts on you personally, because I know you care about your patients. I do. I think that's one thing that makes this even more challenging. The more you care about your patients and the, the harder it becomes to distance yourself from the reality of what we're dealing with, it doesn't matter how well you're trained. The human aspects still exist. And knowing what may be coming or what we are possibly going to be faced with is a humbling experience that even in the best of training, which I do believe that I did receive, nothing prepares you for this moment. Wow. Um, I, we've just met, but I right away could pick up that you're not a person who disengages and doesn't see the personal side of the people you care about. You know, I, I just sense you're the kind of doctor who invests yourself in the people you're caring for. Yes, that's absolutely true. Whether that be to my up, you know, my strengths or my weaknesses. Um, I think it's probably a little of both. Um, I think as physicians balancing that, especially in what we're dealing with today and knowing that you still have to do a job, but be emotionally connected just enough, but not too much to make the right decisions. And it's challenging for sure. Oh my goodness. I can believe that. I really do. Um, but I, I want to say that, you know, um, one of the things that that matters to me is when a person, and I, and I think this is true of you, so go ahead and tell me, it, I think it's more of a calling, you know, that you have. It, it's, it's that you, you know, it's not a job, it's, it's a calling, it's a, it's a investment in making people's lives better, and in your case, people's lives longer. Yesterday, I spoke to my mother, and she said that 
from the time I was little, she knew that there was some shaping going on for some moment, and she believes that this is that moment. Um, and I think as physicians, those of us that have the ability to health in a healthy way reflect, everything we've done until this day is prepared us because none of us have seen anything to this nature in our careers or our lifetimes. And even in the AIDS epidemic, and I was a smaller child at that time, we never saw what we're seeing today. And you have to believe that all of the training and all of the moments, the hard ones, the easy ones, the, the sleepless nights, that all of that prepared us for what we are dealing with today and will deal with as we go along. Wow. So one of the questions that I thought would be good to ask is when did you personally realize that this coronavirus was, was beginning to hit? Uh, you know, a lot of people thought, well, there was a flu or a virus or something. And then um, when did this become real to you? I, in the very beginning, we all knew that this was a different virus. You know, I, in the beginning, a lot of us felt there was an overreaction to the, the management of it. And, and maybe there was and maybe there wasn't. But at the moment that you realize that things are different, I think is different for everyone. For me personally, watching New York was concerning but believing there was a reason that that occurred there. All along, the reality is this is not the flu. But I think it's really been more recent in our community that you realize we don't have a handle on this. Um, we have gotten better at treating it, which is oh, yeah. wonderful. Okay. But it's still, as we get better, my hope is that we can have the outcomes we have with the flu. So even though it's not the flu, I do believe that medicine will get there and this will be as manageable as the flu. Okay, I love the optimism of that personally. I have to and, hope for that. Yeah, and to hear that from someone who, uh, who's in your position makes it better. Um, Dr. Anthony Fauci said that he felt that this was 10 times worse than the flu. Um, would you agree with that? And if so, why is it worse? It is worse than the flu. I'll be careful not to put numbers on it. And the reason is, is one thing we don't want to do is create fear. Mm. I think when people are terrified, they don't get care. They're afraid to go to the hospital. They're afraid to call their physician because they don't even want to sit in a waiting room. So I want to be very careful about the message we send to patients. There's rules in place, socially distance, wear a mask, wash your hands, mm -hmm. avoid the young population that is not following the rules if and so you're around those individuals. But be mindful that we can protect one another and that although it is scarier than the flu, don't be afraid to call for help. Don't be afraid to get to a hospital if you need it because the sooner we get our hands on your case, the more likely it is you'll do well. So I want to be very, very careful not to make people afraid. And I think when we throw numbers out like that, you are creating a fear in people that may or may not be the, to the detriment of their well-being. So you would say that, and by maybe this is one of the more important parts of the message we're about to give, that if you have a healthcare need, get the help you need. A hundred percent. During this epidemic, one of the things that I have noticed in the very beginning in Corona that was very concerning is that people were so afraid to get care that we were losing more people to non-viral related issues because they didn't get care in time. At one point, our team was keeping track of that and the death rates from the non-COVID cases because they didn't get care far exceeded what we were losing to COVID. So I wanna make sure that people don't fall into that trap because we don't want COVID to take the lives of the, those uninfected. 
we need to be saving everyone. Yeah, okay, then, so if you, by the way, are out there and we're wondering, should you go to the doctor, go to the doctor. Please should do. Should you go to ER, go to ER. Um, and, and, and no, when someone goes there, you protect them, right? You, you said that already. Yeah, absolutely. So there's all sorts of safeguards in place. Even clinics have options to do telemedicine now, so you can have a visual with your doctor where they can decide if you need to come in. If you come into, at least I'll speak for our clinic, we you know keep try and keep everyone safe. Our staff is well protected. The patients, if they need masks, they can have masks or gloves, whatever is needed. So, and healthcare professionals, even the hospitals, everyone is doing their absolute best to keep people safe so that you're safer coming in than staying at home. Okay, and that's a big deal. Because I do know of people who have been afraid and then should go and get care and have it. Um, one of the other things that um, I wanted to ask, though, is what are the symptoms? We hear about it, but as a doctor, if I start to get a scratchy throat, I start to have the fever, what am I really looking for to know if it's possibly coronavirus? So your original question, you asked me how I knew this wasn't the flu. That would be one of the biggest things that I would say is the symptom variety versus the flu is very different. In the flu, everyone knows they have the flu. It takes you a day or two and you're gonna stay away from everyone. <laughs> this virus is very different. You may have just a sore throat. You may have a fever. You may just lose your sense of smell and you won't even know it for days on end. So it's a different virus. Majority of the patients have some kind of respiratory, sore throat, at least in our region. But in Las Vegas, one of the number one presenting symptoms was abdominal pain and diarrhea. Oh. So what I tell patients is, of course, be mindful of what you read. Don't go on every random website, but the symptoms to watch for. Fevers are a big deal. We already know that. Sore throat, cough, of course, right? That's what we've been educated. But if you lose your smell or you lose your taste, it may be the only symptom you have. You may only have diarrhea. That doesn't mean you run out and panic because you have diarrhea, but it means to pay attention. If I have diarrhea tomorrow, maybe I'm going to avoid my loved ones for a few days and make sure this clears up. So just be mindful. If something doesn't seem right, call your physician. Set up an appointment on camera if you think that it, you have the symptoms before walking into their office. Okay. And keep yourself well. The reason I'm ready to laugh is because my wife, I love my wife to death, Pam. But I told her, I said, yeah, losing sense of smell is a symptom. She goes, no, it's not. And she argued with me about it. And I'm like, Pam, it is, it is. Um, and so my joke was I quit wearing, I quit wearing deodorant so we could uh, you know, diagnose her. <laughs> it's not actually, true, by the way, not true. It actually is a symptom. And for some people, particularly younger individuals, it may be their only symptom. Okay, that's And I've had several cases where that was the only symptom. And these are usually individuals that we've checked for a surgery or something else where they randomly test, tested positive, and therefore we said, hey, any chance you don't have any smell? And a few of them have said, yeah, actually, I can't smell. So so a couple thoughts. Let's say someone has it and they come in. Um, one of the questions one of the, uh, that I heard asked, because I really think this is interesting, how do you prepare to see them? How do you gear up uh, personally as a physician and or your team? Uh, before you encounter this person? It's a lot of fun. So it takes a long time to gear up, and I think that patients may not understand that. So what it has actually created is this environment where it takes a long time to see each patient. Oh, so when okay. we go in into the rooms at the hospital, there's a, what we call an anteroom, and it's a room that's a protection between the patient and then the general staff in the hallway. And in that room, we have 
units to go on our head that are called pappers. We have gowns that we put on. We have all the gloves so that we can enter the room safely. So in patients that are high risk or already confirmed, all of that is immediately available. And, and patients who are not already confirmed or considered low to moderate risk, we wear the gowns, the gloves, a face shield, and our N95 mask. But it may, many of the patients don't even know who's coming in the room because everyone looks the same now. And yeah. so it's a really interesting dynamic, trying to communicate to someone through mask and shields and trying to remind them who you are. Um, but it's, I think the patients feel safer once they know what we're doing to protect them from us as well as them, us from them. So when you go home, you have young children. I do. And, uh, and a husband, of course. But um, when you go home, uh, do you have a procedure you go through so that your clothes don't make it in, you know, into a place where they could be affected? So at our hospital, there's a couple of different options. So for the staff that's actively seeing patients, they can change into scrubs there and then change before they leave. Okay. That's great if all you do is go to the hospital. But I have the luxury of getting to go to other places other than just the hospital, like our subacute units in the clinics. So I change my clothes. Um, you know, I, some people wash them separately, some don't. I won't say whether that's right or wrong as not to throw anyone under the bus. But I do, I do change my outfit um, if I've been around an environment where my family may be put in harm's way. Which I, the reason I'm asking the question, one is I, um, uh, some people who go to our church also are in the medical field and they change in their garage and all that. <laughs> that's where I change. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's what they do too. But I think what I, I'm going for is that you even think about how can I protect my family? How can I protect my children? Mm -hmm. Which is one of the messages I'm hearing we want people to get is uh, the reason I wear a mask is not for me. I mainly do it to protect others. Correct. So wearing a mask actually protects those around you more than it protects yourself. And knowing that I'm on the front line and that my family's biggest risk is me, Yeah. I need to protect them. And by doing so, I change my outfit. However, do I wear a mask around my kids? I don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that most healthcare workers are not because they're still your family. And there's a balance to that. Yeah, and I would think that's true too, that you know, the idea that um, you wouldn't, you know, you're, you're socially together, you're a social group, but um, you know, when you go out, when you're am amongst other people, right. you know, it's about protecting other people. Right. Yeah. So right now, um, you said that you uh, see a surge, you see a spike. Do you think that's gonna go higher? Do you think it's gonna get worse? Our team is preparing for it to get worse. I hope we're wrong but we are preparing for that. The younger population is starting to come to the hospital, the invincible ones. And I think that's creating a new fear in our staff. In the beginning of this epidemic, we believed that young people were sheltered from this. And while they still are, I'm speaking of young adults, they still are. There's a lot of young adults out there that are not in the best of health and may or may not know that. And many people in their late 30s, 40s, and early 50s may not know that they have hypertension or diabetes, something that places them at risk. And right now, we are seeing quite a surge in that population, and a large number of them are in my ICU. So it is concerning that those that are invincible. The other thing we're seeing is the younger populations, 2025, we're seeing their parents. Oh. And although they are not, the 20 and 25-year-olds are not in the, in the ICU or in the hospital, their parents are. And so while the grandparents are sheltering in place, my generation and those right around me still have children to care for. 
or young adults within our, our realm. And I don't know how that's gonna slow things down with what we all see. The younger population is having a harder time staying at home. And I think it's because they don't maybe understand. And if they could see through my eyes what I'm seeing and that that could be their parent, they may think different. And it may take a few weeks before that reality hits, which is why I do believe it may get worse before it gets better. Yeah, and since it began, we, uh, we, we've seen um, uh, it become, become real in our area, is what I would say, because it feel, felt to me, whether I'm right or wrong, that corona took a while to catch up. And then now it's becoming real. And then yesterday was one of the hardest days for you, maybe in your medical career. So what happened yesterday? So we spoke about this earlier. Um, so when we first began this epidemic, pandemic, whichever word we want to use, our task force had discussed those hard moments. What are we going to do if or when? And while we prepared for them, that never came. We never saw what New York saw. We didn't have to make hard decisions. Yesterday, when we showed up, we had the most cases we'd had ever. And there were three of my physicians, myself and two others, on yesterday. And there's two drugs that we've been using that we do believe are saving lives. That being remdesivir, one that we've heard a lot about, another one that's, we call it TOKI, but it's an inhibitor of the inflammatory response. And yesterday, we found out we had none left. Um, At the time, we thought we were going to get a few more doses. And our team sat there and had to decide who was going to get the meds and who wasn't, who we thought could survive and who wasn't. And as I said earlier when we were speaking, as physicians, you never want to pick and choose who, mm-hmm. who's going to get something. It's like playing God. I've used that term yesterday. I spoke to my mother, as I said before, and I use that term. And I, as a physician, you want to be able to do for everyone the same, regardless of their age, their gender, their survival rate, it doesn't matter. You give 100% and whatever you have in your toolbox, you use. But our toolbox is empty. The medicines that we believe are working are not available for everyone. And deciding who gets that is a very difficult decision. That That is currently and probably will be the ongoing hardest part of this for me personally. I know this isn't gonna get better. I know I'm going to have to make more hard choices. And I hope that I always make the right one. Yeah. And that those who may look and wonder why I chose one or the other will believe that I did what I or my team felt was right. Because until you're the one making that decision, you have no idea what it feels like. And yesterday was the first day in my career where I realized this is real and we're gonna make hard decisions. That is um, something that um, I think uh, a year ago, two years ago, three years ago, none of us even thought was coming. And the fact that you're put in that position, not by your choice, because your choice was to help people, your choice is to care for people. Um, I want you to know, I, I just, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry that you're in that position. I know I have nothing to do with it. I know that doesn't matter, but I like, the fact knowing that in our area, the person who's sitting in your seat cares. Um, and it, it does affect you. Um, not that I want it to do negative, but I just feels good to know 
that if someone in our area ends up in your ICU, you, you actually care about that decision, you care about them. And it's an impossible decision and yet you gotta make it. I hope that anyone who makes those decisions can make them with the peace in their heart that they did the right thing. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna get easier. And as long as we all know we're doing the right thing, we'll get through it. Yeah. We will. Yeah, and you're optimistic that one day we will be able to treat this light with with some kind of medication. I am. When this all began, even though we didn't have a surge, the death rates were much higher. But people are surviving. As we see reported every day, the death rates are dropping. And I believe it's because we're getting so much better at taking care of these patients. We know when it's coming. We're seeing it before we have a positive test. We have medications that can help. Things that we didn't have in the end of February and March that are now rolling to the forefront. Our team has gotten better at at dealing with this. So I am very optimistic that whether we can defeat this virus, I don't know, that's to be seen. Whether we'll have a vaccine, above my pay grade. (laughs) But whether we're gonna continue to save lives and get better, absolutely. Okay, I, this may be, um, I just now thought of this question, so I may betray ignorance. It sounds to me a lot like HIV. In the early days of AIDS and HIV, we all consider, we were, the public thought it's untreatable, it's a death sentence, there's no hope. And then now today there are treatments, there are prolonging of life, there, there, it, it's not necessarily a death sentence. Am I right? You're correct. I think the viruses are very, very different. Um, I don't anticipate coronavirus living with you forever. Okay. But I do agree that in the beginning of the AIDS virus or the world of AIDS, which again was before my medical professional time, there was a lot of fear. Even when I began medical school, the treatments were not like they are today. Now, nobody dies of that. And if they do, it's usually lack of access, which is never acceptable, but usually that or a patient's own desire not to to be treated, which is their right. But it is something that we talk about it being a a long-term disease like diabetes now, Mm -hmm. where we can manage it. And I'm hopeful that coronavirus will be the same, that we will know how to treat this. There will be something like Tamiflu (laughs) that we can give people over the counter as an outpatient when they start to get symptoms if and when we don't have a vaccine. Okay. That, well, that's good to hear. And I do think not that the virus is the same, but the similarity in having a crisis and then hope. Correct. And Correct. then hope becomes reality um, is what I'm hearing you say. Now, um, I know that we talked about this ahead of time, and I think everybody out there is going to, uh, especially everyone's going to want to hear this, especially parents. Uh, the American Pediatric Association, if I'm saying that correctly, its recommendation is for children to go back to school. You're a parent, you're a physician, and how do you feel about that? So as we spoke about this earlier, um, I've even spoken with teachers, very emotional conversations. The children are a unique population. And as I've told my patients, as well as my friends, they appear to be protected. Are there gonna be cases? Absolutely. Are there gonna be horrible outcomes that you're gonna hear about on the news? Yes, there will be. But is that gonna be the norm? No, it's not. I don't believe that, and I don't believe the Academy of Pediatrics believes that either. For whatever reason, and I'm sure the science will continue to pan out, children appear to be, for the most part, protected. As a physician, my concern is the children's well-being. I see a lot of children struggling, being locked up at home, away from their friends, not having the the touch, not seeing grandma. 
These things are very real, and as a society, we need to start dealing with that. Although going back to school is very controversial, and every parent needs to make that decision for themselves, children, there needs to be more of a conversation about their mental health, about the abuse, everything else that could be happening behind those closed doors, and how do we as a society put their needs above everyone else? There are children, and they need to be protected. And if we, the sacrifice of the many, of children, may need to take, we may need to protect them, and the other generations make sacrifices. Stay away from them, stay at home, and we may lose adults. As kids go back to school, I think it's unrealistic to think there won't be infections in the adults help caring for them. But I think as adults, we need to balance the well-being of them with our own needs and decide who do we need to serve the most. I can't answer that, but I can only express that I feel that the children's well-being has to be considered and there needs to be a, a national conversation about them and their well-being and going back to school. Yeah, I am. Um, um with you on the fact that, you know, we're social beings, uh, you know, and then um, cognitively, we need social interaction. Uh, and so, uh, at, you know, a child, all of us need that. But children really, really need that with a developing brain. They need, mm -hmm. obviously, the education. But I, I'm sensing what you're saying is as much as they need education, they need interaction more. They need to be in places that will cause them to not feel isolated and to have a sense of stability and normalcy. That's what you're saying, right? Correct, yeah. correct. And we need to start talking more about that. Yeah, plus um, for us, you know, we, we have a school and our school is going to open. Uh, we've taken measures to make sure that we can do everything we can to protect our staff and our children. Um, and I think we're gonna do a good job with it. And so I think most schools are thinking that way. They're thinking about how do we have a, a safe environment for the kids and uh, you know, also have it, you know, be a place where they can, they can thrive. Um, so I don't think that's undoable during this se season uh, that we're in. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say too. After seeing what this country can do, we're capable. I know there are people that are high, in high enough positions to make this happen for the children. I'm glad it's not me. I have my <laughs> plate full. But I know that they can find a way. Um, and there's going to need to be a lot of adjustments. Mm -hmm. But I know they can find a way to help the children while we help the adults. Well, I did want to get your advice on that. And so Dr. French, I uh, again want to say thank you uh, for what you do. And uh, thanks also on behalf of Crossroads uh, for you, for Corona Regional, for your staff, um, for being frontline. Uh, and it matters, you know, it matters to us. Um, I think that the one of the positives out of the coronavirus, and there are some positives, one of the positives is we've learned who the real heroes are. You know, prior to this, it was celebrities. Now it's people like you. And by the way, it's also grocery store employees that go put themselves out there and uh, our first responders. Uh, but it is you. You are one of our heroes now. Your team are one of the heroes, you know, that, that do things like this. And I hope that we don't lose that. I hope our country realizes that those who serve, those who care, those who protect, are the ones that we need to point our children to look at and, and say, that's who you wanna be like. So I, I genuinely believe that and I thank you and I thank you for also caring. You know, that care you have comes out and uh, we're fortunate to have someone like you overseeing our ICU and leading the team. 
So as we end this podcast, I genuinely want to thank you. And uh, want to do a big thanks and shout out again to Corona Regional, to all the hospitals in the area, to all the medical workers who are part of our Crossroads family and uh, that are out there, period. Some of you right now might feel God's leading you in your life. This might be a season to pray about should you go into the medical field because you know what? It's a time to go make a difference and maybe that's a difference you'll make. So we'll be getting together again soon. Don't forget about our Wednesday night service that's coming on Wednesday at 6.30 and Sunday we will have nine o'clock and on demand after that. God bless you guys and hopefully we'll see you soon.